Well, today we have come to chapter 6 of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you can open your Bibles there. And again, uh, just a quick refresher before we move on into chapter 6. In chapters 1 and 2 and 3 of Revelation, it was all about the church. Jesus addressed the seven churches very specifically in chapters 2 and 3. He exhorted them to stay the course and to get things in order, to get right or get left, basically. Left behind, that is. Jesus rebuked them where necessary and... He warned them that he was coming quickly. In chapter 4, we saw where the the scene shifted from earth to heaven. John the Apostle was taken in the Spirit into heaven in this vision where he saw the throne and the one who sat on the throne. John also saw the 24 elders and the four living creatures and He also described to us the beauty of heaven in that chapter. In John, uh, or excuse me, in Revelation chapter 5, John describes Jesus as the one who appeared in the midst of the throne and is worthy to loose the seals, to take the scroll first of all, and then to loose those seals and open that scroll. And this scroll is described in chapter 5 as having been in the hand of the one who sat on the throne. And John described Jesus also in that chapter as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he also described him as the lamb that was slain. And we talked about that last week. Then here in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now I saw when the lamb, which is who? Jesus, right? Opened one of the seals... And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. So John gets an invitation here to come and see what is about to take place when Jesus opens up this first seal. Those words come and see are used in conjunction ten times in the Bible. But the one that I'll draw your attention to here this morning is found in John 11.34. And this is where Philip told Nathanael about Jesus. And Nathanael famously said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip then answered Nathanael and said, Come and see. You see, not only did someone good come out of Nazareth, But Jesus, being that someone, also came from heaven to earth. He then went, as the old song says, from the earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave back onto the earth, of course, right? And from the earth back into heaven. And this is the work of Jesus our Lord. The Apostle John is in the Spirit here, seeing yet another work of Jesus and being invited to come and see. And that work that John is invited to come and see is the taking off of these seals and the opening up of this scroll that's now in the hands of the Lamb. Now look, what, what, what's about to happen here is the wrath of the Lamb is about to take place with the opening of these seals. The wrath of Jesus Christ is going to come upon 
the people of the earth. And it starts here in verse 2. John says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, it could be very easy to say here that this is Jesus riding this white horse, but let me explain to you why I don't think it is. If you mark this page and you turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Again, I'll read verse 2 back in Revelation 6. And I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Okay, now stop right there, because here we are seeing a white horse again, right? We just saw a white horse for the first time back in uh, chapter 6. The one who sat on the white horse back in chapter 6 didn't have a name, but here verse 11 continues, And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Okay, now we know for sure that this is Jesus. If you were here when we studied it, you'll remember that back in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, we saw that Jesus was called the faithful and the true witness. Then verse 12 here continues, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Now right there we see that Jesus here has on his head many crowns. Back there in chapter 6, verse 2, the one on the white horse had only one crown. Still speaking of Jesus, verse 12 here continues, he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So again, very clearly, we see that this is Jesus riding this white horse and waging war. He is the Word of God. Verse 14, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And we'll talk about that in the future. Verse 15, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So Jesus, the Word of God, is described symbolically here as having a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. And he is taking care of business, if you will, here with the nations. What does Hebrews 4.12 say, right? That the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword from the mouth of Jesus is the Word of God, and Jesus himself is called the Word of God. So on this white horse, again, very clearly, is Jesus. There's no mistaking that fact here. But as we turn back now to Revelation chapter 6, who is this that we see on this white horse? In verse 2, he only has one crown and he doesn't have a sword, but rather he has a bow. 
He is described here as going out and conquering and to conquer. He's Again, he's on a white horse, just like it, Jesus is symbolically described, described to be someday in the future. He's carrying a weapon, but the weapon's not the Word of God. The Word of God is good, and it does good to all that yield to it, but this person, whoever it is, you know, whoever it may represent, gives every appearance of being possibly the Antichrist. Now, many can have different viewpoints on that. But as we go on through these horses, we'll, these horsemen that we'll see, it's, it's a bad time coming upon the earth. Okay, But he's trying his best, it seems, to look like Jesus. He's on a white horse. He's wearing a crown. He's going out to conquer and to conquer, or conquering and to conquer, right? And he will do great works, right? We know that because he will conquer, it says. You see, there again, there are four horsemen in this chapter. And the other three that we'll look at here this morning are all going out to do bad things. It's a bad time. It's the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period that we've entered into here in Revelation. So the first seal has been opened, and one of the living creatures invited John to come and see. Then in verse 3, here it says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. So what does John see next? Verse 4, Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there were given to him, and there was given to him a great sword. Wow, so this horseman has a sword, but it's not coming out of his mouth. This sword is meant for evil. This horseman is going to take peace away from the earth. This tribulation period is not going to be a good time on this earth, to say the least. You see, today the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, dwells on the earth today in the hearts of believers. Today there is peace on the earth, at least to a certain degree. Good is most definitely under attack today. We see a lot of unrest going on in our world, right? That which is evil is held up as good today, and that which is good is being classified as evil. Things are shifting. Things are switching. And I'm thankful today for what law and order, what peace we do still have here on this earth, but someday we see here that peace will be taken away from the earth. Now let me ask you something. What is the opposite of peace? War, right? War, civil unrest and such. Again, this will be just a really bad time on the earth. To use an old saying, all hell is breaking loose at this point. People will be killing one another. Now you may say, well, they already do that, don't they? Just listen to, if you've got a police scanner, listen to Chicago's police. I do that once in a while. There's murders galore. You know, people already do that, don't they? Well, we haven't seen nothing yet. We haven't seen anything like the Great Tribulation. Far, it'll be far worse than anything this world has ever seen. People will be 
killing each other left and right. And all peace has left the earth. In verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Now, what should we be picturing here? Well, this horseman has in his hands a scale for weighing things. Picture that old-fashioned balance scale used for measuring amounts of food and such. And we are indeed talking about food here because verse 6 says, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So look, a, a time of war again, a time of civil unrest is what's being described here, has come upon the earth. Men and, and women, I'm sure, have been sent off to war. Okay, And it, stores will be looted for all of their goods, no food on the shelves. Um, and just to buy a quart of wheat and three quarts of barley will cost a person two days' wages at that point in time. A denarius represents a day's wage. This time will make the Great Depression seem like a time of good. People will be starving and this horseman has been released to go out and destroy crops, right? Destroy things. For whatever reason, and we really don't know this answer at this point, but he will not be granted the right to harm the oil and the wine. So grapes and olives will still be available, right? So there's a little good news for those that don't go into rapture, they'll get the feast on grapes and olives during this time, right? If you don't like olives now and you're going to be around, you might want to acquire a taste for them. Or better yet, become a born-again disciple of Jesus Christ, and you won't have to worry about any of this. Verse 7, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse... And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. Now pause right there, because this is the first horseman that we see that has been given a name. Now keep in mind, it's important that I remind you here that we are looking at a lot of symbolism here in Revelation, right? This horseman represents death being sent out. Hades is not hell, but rather the grave. So we are looking at, this, again, the start of the Great Tribulation. A false Messiah is on the scene, represented symbolically by the one on the white horse, and he goes out to conquer. A famine has come, not much food to go around. People start to kill one another, represented symbolically by the one on the fiery red horse. Take its peace from the earth, right? Then we see here death and the grave conquering many people. Many people are dying. What kind of death are we talking about? Verse 8 continues. And a power was given to them over the fourth of the earth. So not everyone's dying. About 25% of the earth's population is. Again, how are they dying? Verse 8 continues. To kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. So people are using weapons to kill each other, 
represented by the sword. People are dying of starvation and others are being eaten by wild animals. After all, the, the animals have nothing to eat either. A few years back, we had some problems with bears coming down into the valley here from the north part of the state because they weren't finding anything to eat up north, so they were making their way down here. And when the food runs out and all the edible animals have been hunted by man and eaten, well, the bears and the mountain lions, they're going to come looking for the people that stole their food. You know? So, verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, for centuries upon centuries, people have been dying for the sake of the word of God. And to this day, many still do. I want to read to you a modern day story here, and this just happened about a month ago on November 4th. It says, infuriated by the rumors that a Christian couple had desecrated the Quran, an angry mob attacked this man and his pregnant wife on November 4th, beat and burned them to death. Shazad Masai and his wife Shama were killed in the village of a long name here in Pakistan. <laughs> According to an investigator with the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan, the attack was incited by the owner of a brick kiln where the couple worked. After he complained to a local mosque, mosque leaders that Shama, his the wife, had burned a Quran. The young, cor the young couple had reportedly been in a dispute with the owner who claimed that they owed him 100,000 rupees or $970. So he didn't get his money from them. So he reported that she burned a Quran. Mosque, lead, mosque loudspeakers throughout the surrounding communities announced the offense and called on faithful Muslims to avenge the disgrace of the holy book. Though the police tried to stop the crowd, they were outnumbered. A brick kiln manager hid the couple in an office and the locked door, but some, some, some of the pack climbed on the roof of the building and tore a hole through the roof. After beating them, they tied them to a tractor, dra dragged them in circles. Eventually, the two were taken back to the brick kiln where they were shoved through holes used for stoking the, the kiln's fire. Shama pleaded for mercy before they forced her into the kiln. The heat was intense, that, so intense that afterward nothing was left of them. It goes, it goes on from there, but just in case you doubt the fact that people die today because of their faith, we don't see it much here in America, but throughout the world, people are still dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. Many martyrs have gone on before us, and many people have died for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, their souls cry out. Then in verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So 
Judgment indeed will come upon those that kill believers in Jesus Christ. They just need to be a little more patient here because at this point in time, there's still more to be martyred. Verse 12 says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. So the opening of the sixth seal causes for nature to be affected. An earthquake. The sun darkens. It, it, does, it does not say that the sun burns out because we'll see in later chapters that the sun still exists. The sun simply became black and the moon became like blood. Now the moon becoming like blood might, might not be all that strange to us because we have blood moons in our day in age the next blood moon will occur on April 2015 or in April of 2015 but some crazy things are happening here with the opening of this sixth seal now i told you last week that this scroll was pretty astounding it's it's easy when when you break the bible up and study it the way we are verse by verse from week to week you know it, it's much better if you can sit down and read all of this straight through but this scroll is really astounding and we're getting a picture painted here to us of some of the things that are going to happen in the future now since i mentioned the word future here let me go ahead and tell you that i am indeed presenting to you what people would call a futurist view of the book of revelation what does that mean well it simply means that what i'm teaching you here is that the things that we are studying in this book have not happened yet, but will happen in the future. But there are others that view this book differently than the way I'm currently teaching it to you. Uh, there are actually four different viewpoints that people have on the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to get into those viewpoints in detail with you this morning. I encourage you to study those all on your own. But there is a historicist view, right? And this is a viewpoint that says that the events in the book of Revelation are history. They were fulfilled during the reign of Nero, right? Um, back during that time, right? Then there is what's called the preterist view. And that word preterist simply means that Revelation is just essentially a view of the past. Those that view Revelation in this way locate the timing of the fulfilling of the prophecies of Revelation to have happened in the first century AD, just before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. But then there is the idealist view, which states that there are few or no references in Revelation to things that actually happen. People that view it that way, they're called the idealists. Their approach to Revelation sees the book as just a picture of good principles. In other words, the battle of good against evil, right? Then lastly, there is the futurist view point. Again, this is the way that I'm teaching you Revelation today. I believe that from chapter 4 here in Revelation all the way to the end of the book are all the things that have yet to be fulfilled. I believe that what it says is what it means. I believe it's very plain and should be interpreted very literal. And as I've read this book and currently study it, 
I find nowhere in history where the judgments that we see taking place in this chapter, you know, or where we see taking place in chapters 8, chapter 9, what we'll see in chapter 16, I see no evidence that these type of things have happened in the past, right? The resurrections and the, and the judgment described in chapter 20 have not occurred yet. There has been no visible return of Christ as portrayed in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. But I just want to be open with you and tell you that this is the viewpoint that I read the book of Revelation from. And uh, to be honest with you, I got saved reading the book of Revelation. That's how I came to the Lord. I read the book of Revelation in my apartment one day, afterwards got on my knees and received Jesus Christ. And then I began to study the Bible after that, continue to read and study and eventually teach the Bible. But as I did, I, I never really came to any conclusions based on other people's commentaries or other people's teachings. I come to the conclusions of my understanding of the Bible through reading the Bible myself. And that's why I'm you know, you might hear me repetitiously say, study the Bible on your own, read the Bible on your own, let the Holy Spirit talk to you, read it on your own. I, I'm not against what other people say. I'm not against looking at commentaries on this or that from time to time. But I like to approach the Bible in a way that first I seek the Lord and say, Lord, what do you say to me? And, and, and again, nothing special about that. It's just that that's how I came to the Lord. It's through the Word of God. So that's kind of how I've lived ever since, you know. Um, but there are many good teachers out there, and that's why I, I pointed out here that there are some that take a different viewpoint of the book of Revelation. You know, and they, they say it's, you know, like I say, the preterist view or the historicist view. But I clearly see, based on the things that are happening in the book of Revelation, based on the things that we'll study in the future, these things haven't happened. And we, of course, haven't seen the return of Christ, we know. So these things are yet future. So anyway, that's just a side note. But again, what we're looking at thus far is a, fa a false messiah comes on the scene, represented symbolically here by the one on the white horse who goes out to conquer. A famine has come, not much food to go around. There's war. Peace has been taken from the earth. Many people have been sent off to war. Many people are fighting wars. There's famine. People are probably standing in food lines. People are going out hunting and killing up all the animals. And then death comes upon people. Death comes from starvation. Death comes from being eaten by wild animals and such. And death begins to conquer people. And the grave, 25% of the earth's population is taken away during this period of time. Then verse 13 says, And the stars from heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. So just picture that. You, you know, you go up to a small tree and you shake it and you watch all the leaves fall off of it. My kids loved that when they were little when I used to do that with them. You can't do that with a giant oak tree, of course, but we live here in the desert and our trees are small, so you can go up and do that. But at the opening of the sixth seal, we're seeing stars falling from heaven to the earth. So nature is releasing its fury. And the opening of this seal, again, this is not all of the stars from heaven falling. And we know this because we will see in a later chapter 
we'll see stars falling again. But what's next? Verse 14, Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Again, what's being described here to us is very simple. It's a cataclysmic event that is affecting all of creation, right? You know, if you think about it, we get up every morning and we live every day thinking that the sun is always going to be shining, right? When night comes, we rest assured that we rest assured that the stars are always going to be in their place, right? Sure, we know that some of them fall, but we're not expecting things like we're seeing here in Revelation on a daily basis, are we? The sky rolling back, mountains and islands being moved out of their places. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that we cannot trust in the stability of anything that we see. We can only trust, really, in the living God and His everlasting Word. Because nothing else, as we now know it, will remain the same. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35 that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So that's the only thing we can really trust in. It's the only thing we can really put all of our faith in and all of our hope in. You know what? Let's go ahead and and turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now, we're going to be looking at some verses further into Matthew 24 here, but just to to set the proper scene, let's start reading at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to him, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So, the disciples of Jesus ask him two questions here. The first question, when will these things be, right? Jesus, when will this temple be destroyed as you are describing? And again, there was a time in history in 70 AD when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And again, you can study that on your own. But since we are studying the period of the Great Tribulation here, and I want to show you parts of Jesus' answer to the disciples' second question there in verse 3, when they said, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Okay, so I'm not addressing that period of time when that temple will be destroyed. We're talking about the end of the age. We're talking about that Great Tribulation period now, in Revelation. And Jesus answered that within talking to his disciples here as well. And if you look down at verse 21, Jesus speaking says, For then 
there will be great tribulation. Okay, so that's the second question the disciples ask, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Okay, we haven't got to the end of the age yet. We're not there yet. But Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. So again, these things, these great cataclysmic things, if you will, haven't happened yet. And if they did happen, they wouldn't happen again. Right? It, would be the, it would have been the end of the age. Okay? So, Jesus then says in verse 22, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So, there will be people that will go through part of the great tribulation that will be saved during that time. When we get into chapter 7 of Revelation, we'll see that um, before things go too far in the tribulation, there will be some servants of God sealed for salvation in Revelation chapter 7. But Jesus is saying here that if that time period were to go on too long, no one would be able to survive it. He's saying it's that great. It's going to be that bad. No one would be able to survive it. Now, will this great tribulation period happen in our lifetime? Who knows, right? All we know is that it hasn't happened yet. The ones that Jesus was speaking directly to here in in these verses, it didn't happen for them in their lifetime either. Some of them may have saw the destruction of the temple, but they did not see that time that Jesus is describing here, the end of the age, his second coming. What will it be like then? But for those people that will still be around during that period of time in the future, for that person that does not get raptured and they go through the great tribulation, Jesus continues and says in verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So those ones that are sealed for salvation during the Great Tribulation could be deceived if they were not mindful of the words of Christ here as found in the Holy Scriptures. And the Holy Scriptures will be around in that day. You can count on that. But Jesus continues and says in verse 25, See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So in other words here, there's going to be no mistaking the second coming of Jesus Christ. It will be plain as day, so to speak. You won't be able to miss it. It's a sure thing. Just like the eagles will gather around the carcass of of a dead animal, it's a sure thing. You can count on the second coming of Jesus Christ and it will be unmistakable. And when the second coming of Christ happens, verse 29, immediately or when will it happen, right? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened 
and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So when are we talking about? Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation. Okay? Verse 31, and we, or excuse me, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now, at this point in time, where are all the elect? Where are the ones that did not, first of all, go through the great tribulation? They are in heaven. And at this time, when Jesus will come to the earth again, he sends his angels and they go out and they gather them from one end of heaven to the other, as verse 31 says there. And all the people that are on the earth at that time have, you know, that have survived the great tribulation and are on the earth at that time, they will see Christ coming and they will mourn. Why? Because they pierced Him. Because they rejected Him. Because they did not honor Him in their lifetimes. And now the day of judgment has come for them. Now, can we understand the time? Can we know or have any inclination as to when these times are getting close? Well, let's read on verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. So yes, like the seasons change and we can plainly see the the leaves on these trees changing here, uh, we are able to discern the signs of the times. Verse 40, 34, Assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So let's keep this in context here. The Word of God is telling us in verse 33 that when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. And again, back in verse 29, there Jesus is saying in context that these things will happen when? Immediately after the tribulation. So that's the point in time that Jesus is talking about here. Immediately after the tribulation. And the people that live at that point in time, that generation, that generation that sees the sun darkened and the moon not given its light, the stars falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens being shaken, it will be very plain to see as when the season changes for a tree, those people will be the generation that will see it. They will not pass away until it happens. When all those signs start to take place, that generation is going to see the coming of Christ. Are we that generation? We could be. We don't know. Verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus is saying here, you're not going to know for sure. We don't know for sure. But there are things you can look at. There are signs that you can see. 
And he says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of man be. For as in the days of or days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Just like that. That's what it's going to be like. So there indeed are the excuse me, the signs of the times that we can discern. And just as it was in the days of Noah, people will be going about their lives as normal and not really caring about the coming judgment. They're just living the way they want to live, doing the things they want to do. Party on, right? They just keep on going, right? That's what it's going to be like. And let's flip back to Revelation chapter 6. Speaking of this great tribulation period still, verse 15 says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountain and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For that, for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand it. So we're looking at the opening of these seals. We're seeing things begin to take place on the earth and it's setting up that time for the wrath of the Lamb when, it, when Jesus is going to come back. And, and at that point in time, Jesus will be revealed upon this earth. Uh, and this earth, of course, has scoffed at his word. They've killed his elect. They've killed Christians and they, they even crucified him. And it's time for all of this sin to be dealt with here. They thought they were getting away with it all, but there's a rude awakening coming for this earth and for those that live in sin and reject Jesus Christ and reject the Word of God. They will try to run and hide, but they will not escape the wrath of the Lamb. So we have studied six seals thus far. And the sixth seal has been an amazing, powerful seal, hasn't it, right? Six being the number of man, and man for sure is being dealt with here as this sixth seal has been opened. And there's a time coming upon the earth in the future of great famine, death, war, peace will be taken from the earth. And it's a time that none of us want to live through. And praise God, if we're followers, if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we will not go through that time. Let's pray.